Hello and welcome to the Chundu Living Podcast. My name is Charlie and today I'm recording a podcast with a guest named Jordan from Canada. Hello. Hey, Charlie. Today we're talking about probably the most notorious topic related to Sichuan and Chengdu, which surprisingly is one that we have not talked about yet, and that is Sichuan cuisine. So Jordan started a company a couple years ago, right? Yeah, 2015. 2015 called Chengdu Food Tours, which I think has established itself by this point as the preeminent food tour company in Sichuan, in Chengdu, that I'm aware of. I'd like to think so. There, uh, there's a couple other people involved in the in the industry now, but... Uh, I think you've yeah. earned that. I think you've earned that. Thanks. So congratulations on that and starting such a cool business and devoting yourself to such a cool thing. And it's interesting. I've been thinking today just about recording this podcast and kind of mentally preparing for it. We've recorded over 20 different podcasts, and this will be the first one where we've ever focused just on Sichuan food, which is surprising to me because Sichuan food is probably this region of China's biggest cultural export. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, especially recently, it's like taken great hold in a lot of cities, countries across the world beyond Sichuan. But it's also become, I think, like the greatest domestic export of Sichuan as well, like spread all across the country. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you come to Chengdu and how did you get involved with Sichuan food? Kind of when did you fall in love with it and what's the story? So I I came to, I moved to Chengdu in 2010 uh, to study Chinese. I'd traveled here earlier and I guess that's when my love affair with food had sort of started. To me, I never, I would never really consider myself a foodie in retrospect and I'm not a chef, but in traveling when I was younger in college and after college, um, to me, food just became the best vehicle for learning about a new place and sort of getting a more candid look at a city outside of the typical tourist sites. Like uh, temples are sweet, but you know, there's, you get a different feel when you like ride a bus and like sit with a bunch of, of people like on stools in alleyway. Um, sure. It gives you different insights. So in a way that food always played an important role in my, in my learning of a new place. So I moved to Chengdu in 2010. Uh, I like to say to do a practical master's. I, I deferred my master's degree, which is in Chinese history, uh, to come to China for a year to study Chinese because I figured it would help me down the line. Right. And also, I just had a few trepidations, I guess, like picking my thesis advisor and everything was a bunch of old white people in Canada. Yeah. So I was like, I should get a little... Feels hand- far away. Yeah, I should get a little hands-on knowledge first. And that basically just turned into uh, a greater longer, more unbelievable journey than I had anticipated, of which I'm still in the middle of. Right. And I guess right from the start, food played the fundamental role in me like learning about Chengdu and discovering the city and continually exploring. Like I always did that through food. Fantastic. You know, I kind of had this feeling, maybe you can confirm or deny this, that expats living in Chengdu really kind of take Sichuan cuisine for granted. Absolutely. They, they do people. It's, it's not just expats or foreigners living in Chengdu or anywhere, but like people like really quickly settle into conveniences and normalize the things around them. Um, and so that was actually a big part of it. I I noticed that when I first moved here, like all the, uh, I started as a student. So all my classmates who'd been here for longer than I have, they go to the same places and order the same stuff. And it was really good, but you hear about like, oh, the diversity of Sichuan cuisine, which there really is a great diversity in it, Um, like way way beyond the classics and way beyond like the mala flavors. Right. And so I got a bike and I started biking around the city to explore the city. And I 
just wanted to try and eat as many different things as I could, which also took me to newer and more interesting places of the city. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. So a couple years ago, when you started Chengdu Food Tours, tell me about that. So you had already spent a lot of time exploring the city, exploring the food, learning about it. And you thought, you know, there are people coming to Chengdu all the time, but they can't find the right stuff. Or what was the kind of conception of the of starting this enterprise? It's hard to explain looking back. I mean, I, it sort of happened by mistake, maybe, or I guess not totally, but it, it evolved in, in a pretty natural way, I would say. So I, I became obsessed with this like exploration and the way to show people the city. So even before I was doing this as a job, like I guess I was already doing it on my own for my own visitors and for friends of friends. Um, Chengdu, to be honest, like it's, it's maybe not the most beautiful city in China or in the world, but it has a great feel. So it's like when people were coming to visit me, I'd be like, I'll oh, take them to the temple, take them to wide narrow alleys. And I was like, well, this doesn't really capture it. So it's like, I was like collecting sort of cool places that I could take people to. Yeah. Um, I worked at a consulting company for a few years. And through that, I also did a little bit of this like fixing role for a lot of stuff when we had people in town or like planning stuff out on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of like accidentally developing this whole skill set. Um, and through that, I sort of became involved in some tourism projects. Through that company, I also became very involved in the entrepreneurship community in Chengdu. Right. And so at a point, um, I decided to like leave the company and try and pursue. Uh, I, I just had like a dream of doing some stuff on my own. And I was like working cooperation with uh, some tourism projects, which I was hoping to set up for Sichuan. And very quickly into like trying to formulate it into a plan, I realized like food was the factor that I always kept coming back to as like the most special part of every experience. So like... I just boiled that these like big loose ideas down super quickly into food. And it was became very obvious that that's not only like the skill set that I had, but really were my passions and interests. Yeah, led. that seems to be the thing that people remember more than anything else. The food for sure. Number one, maybe second after that, the pandas and then everything else is like a distant, distant behind that. But how would you describe Sichuan food to someone who's unfamiliar? Maybe someone who's listening to this, they're in another region of China, or maybe they've never been to China. How would you describe it? Ah, it's tough to be so succinct sometimes. Right. Um, I would say that it is, it's diverse, but there's a huge focus on freshness. I think that people don't realize, which is there's just these images of like hot pot or oil or um, like stir fries, which, you know, stir fries and, and oil play their role. But like the whole development of Chengdu, like the word Tianfu, I mean, land of abundance you hear about all the time. It's hard to sort of put into context. Like Sichuan is unique um, in its food and in its food history because of how incredibly productive the agricultural land is here. Right. So it has four growing seasons. It has always been a place where people don't have to fight for food in the same capacity. It's still self-sufficient for food for it's both like vegetables. It's like the breadbasket of China. It is. Well... I mean, looking back in China, it's at least the breadbasket for itself and now very much for other places. So it just developed this different approach to life here um, where it's like very Epicurean, very like food focused as a form of like entertainment as well. So I would say there's these just like amazing, like seasonal different things that get incorporated in. And that abundance of stuff also leads to a lot of it being preserved, pickling or fermenting, which like create the most important flavors of the cuisine that I'd say. What do you think are the big staples of Sichuan cuisine? Obviously, hot pot is maybe the most well-known part of Sichuan cuisine. Are there others that are like particular dishes or 
What are some of the most emblematic features, do you think, as far as like things to eat? Uh, th- this is a really interesting topic for me, especially right now, because I feel like the emblematic cultural exports are not always the things that get eaten here. Like right. I just wrote a piece on how nobody eats dandan noodles anymore. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, Why is that? <laughs> a lot of people come here and they say, oh, I want to try dandan noodles. Uh, What's, I mean, do, you have, do you have an opinion on on the noodles I mean, themselves? Dandan or? noodles are great. Like I got I got no problems with dandan noodles, but it, it doesn't. It's just not as common here. It's more a remnant of like maybe twenty years ago, like a street food sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, carried on a pole over the shoulders, a basket of noodles on one side, sauce on the other, mixed up in the street. You know, like we don't have street food in the same way. Those are also like cute little snack noodles. Yes. They've just sort of like moved their way into restaurants and turned into meals. So snack, like snack food is like a huge part of Chengdu food. And I'm kind of interested in how this fits in because actually last night I had some some strangers, some investment bankers from England uh, invite me to dinner just to talk about the game industry in China. And they just want to collect information for their business. And they had me meet them at like a snack restaurant, a Sichuan snack restaurant, which is like this big fancy place at Langkwaifeng, right next to the Shangri-La Hotel. And the restaurant just specializes in dozens and dozens of these small little snacks. Is that a big feature of local cuisine or is that mostly just kind of a tourist thing? What's your impression of that? Uh, It's absolutely a feature of local cuisine, but it's also like the easiest way to turn stuff out for domestic tourists because it's like smaller packages. So you can like try more things. Yeah. Um, But I mean, to go back to the hot pot thing too, there's like officially four categories of like citron food, which is like hot pot, uh, family style, banquet style, and then snacks. Okay. So to me, snacks occupy a really interesting space because we don't snack the same way in the West. To me, it has to do with like how a whole day is measured out and scheduled through food and through meals. Like those are the time points that people use like to, to make things happen. And instead of like going out for coffee or like going out for tea or meeting at a bar for a drink, like you're always meeting around food. Food is like this sort of social catalyst, not even catalyst. It's like a, the, the platform on which all things take place. So like food needs to be present to allow that like exchange and that like interchange between people and to like put people at rest. And because you can't just eat meals all day, um, snacks like perform this like important middle role. It doesn't necessarily mean for business meetings. It's just like for friends meeting up or something to do. If you're walking around town, you go to the temple, you go to a meeting, you got a few minutes like with a buddy, like instead of like going to grab a beer or going to grab a coffee, like you go grab a little bowl of snack noodles. Right. It, it fulfills that role. It's just. Yeah, I totally. I have a question for you. Let's say you have like a family member come visit you, like a sibling or a parent, and they say, I'm really interested in the food here. Without them saying anything more, what are the first things that you would take them to go eat? Uh, it depends. Like, I guess you gauge their adventurousness a little bit right at the start. Let's say for your family member, just, I, you know, think of anyone, just someone that you care about, someone who you want to show them the best and just, cool. just go, just go on that. What's your first thing that comes to mind? Uh, I mean, just a good old school bowl of spicy noodles. Like always, it gives the people a little bit what they want, but also like still really, rep- really represents those classic flavors. What that, kind of noodles in particular? Uh, like zhajiangmian. So like, I guess what you could say. Some people are going to disagree with me on this for sure, but you could say that dandan noodles are like categorically a type of zhajiang noodles, right? It's like fried minced pork, dry noodles mixed with spicy sauce. Yeah, so I I notice people eating zhajiang mian like all the time. 
And I don't notice people eating dandan mian like ever really. Well, you, now you can only really get it in the the snack places because right, I'd I, say I it just evolved into like a meal thing. People just want yeah, a bigger yeah. bowl, and I they don't want to be constrained by like having yatai and like fermented wheat paste in it. There's yeah. no peanuts and stuff in dandan mian either. That's ridiculous. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Okay, so that's <laughs> like it, so like kung pao chicken is also another one of these Sichuanese dishes which has been adapted or General Tso's chicken or fortune cookies or i mean yeah. how 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 accurate do you think sichuan food is outside of chengdu well there's there's two schools of it so there's like the old school which is what we all know from chinatown and from like chinese restaurants in like the states and uk and australia from like a different era and though that's like a new created cuisine it's a chinese american cuisine just like Pizza in New York isn't Italian pizza. It's been like adapted to its market through a series of things. It's a really fascinating history to understand both like how food changed, but also to understand Chinese immigration in North America through food. That's a good like, analogy, uh, the pizza analogy. Yeah, it's the, if you've seen like there's a great because you know, I, I can't talk about this for now right now. But there's a great documentary called In Search of General Tso by produced by a woman named Jennifer Lee, which just does a great job of covering all of those things. Interesting. So I think, yeah, most people know of Sichuan as like S Z E C, you know, like that, like yeah, the Western oh, spelling. <laughs> well, that's an old school. That's from the Wade Giles system, which is like outdated and now been completely replaced and standardized by the pinion system. Right. So it's a slightly colonial accent to. Yeah, to, it's like Chongqing instead of Chongqing yeah. or something. Yeah. I have in my hometown in um, Washington, D.C., there's a restaurant called Chengdu. Nice. Yeah, which has like a big portrait of Chengdu on the wall inside there. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty accurate. I mean, fairly authentic. It's like a Chengdu couple which left the city and went there. In uh, Amsterdam, I was there a couple years ago with a friend, a Dutch guy who lives in Chengdu, Marco, who you may know. Mm -hmm. He took me to a restaurant which is also called Chengdu over there. And now I'm thinking like in every major city, there's probably a restaurant called Chengdu. Yeah, or Chengdu like impression or something like that. Yeah, Chengdu right? impression. Like, that's like a that's a Chengdu up. restaurant, right? There's a well, there's a, a famous one in LA called Sichuan Impression, but there's a old Chengdu restaurant called Chengdu Impression, which is just making its foray into the international market now as well. What do you think so, of these super high dollar, really fancy restaurants? Is I think uh, Sichuan Impression is that the one that's like you have to make a reservation in advance and it's like. 800 Kwai to eat like a really No, no, that's different. Area. Sichuan Impression, I think, is like in, in LA. It's just a, a dude who brought his uncle over to cook up authentic food. So, right, right, right. Which, which is sort of going back to the other thing, which I think is like the, the new sort of school of food being like more authentic Chinese food being represented abroad. is like first Sichuan food spread famously around China. So it gained itself a bigger market. And now you have like younger people, mainland immigrants who aren't moving to Chinatown, who are moving to like new suburbs or different parts of the city and opening like m restaurants of the food that they know. It tends to be like a, a younger contingent of people that own and run these restaurants and are making more classic dishes. So they're like slowly becoming availabilities or better representations of like Sichuan food in these cities. But yeah. it's not usually in Chinatown. It's like in Flushing or it's in San Gabriel Valley or in like Toronto, it's in Markham. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. I feel kind of like when I first came to Chengdu, which is over 10 years ago, there was not, I mean, a lot of, I didn't perceive a lot of prestige around the food. It was all kind of like, you know, family style cooking and it was like paper napkins everywhere and everything was like very low key and informal and delicious, but not, you know, coming with like a great deal of expectation or 
anything like that. And now I feel like the perception of Sichuan food has changed a lot. And now it's become a semi fancy, you know, revered cuisine around the world, especially now with, and I want to talk to you about this also, Anthony Bourdain coming to Chengdu, <laughs> I think recently a year ago or something yeah. for his second or third time. Has the perception of Sichuan food changed? I mean, is it just a trend right now? And, and why is that? What's the context of that? Well, I would definitely say it's changing. And I think it has to do a lot with the new availability of Sichuan food um, in other cities around the world that are like raising people's awareness of about it awareness about it so they don't like just think of it as mapo tofu or like a stir fry that they under starting to understand some of the nuance and complexity but it also just makes people hear about it and makes people more interested so it raises the profile of Sichuan as a food destination as well like people come here with knowledge like oh Sichuan food is supposed to be something um and they're at least like interested to check it out so I, I think that has to do a lot with like the new sort of like diaspora of mainland people um, and the culture that they bring with them to other countries as well. Um, but I also think like Chengdu is, is like the prestige part is, is tricky in Chengdu. Chengdu is a really, really high bar for food. There's hundreds of thousands of restaurants here. And if they're no good, they won't be around. Like in, I feel like in Beijing, it's so easy to go to a shitty restaurant. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, that's actually, I've had local people tell me that they yeah. say, oh, good restaurants don't last here. And that's like a real point of pride. Yeah, well, I mean, there's pretty good restaurants all last year. There's like a really, you have a high bar here, so bad restaurants don't last at all. Good restaurants stick around for a long time, but a lot of it is like humble family style stuff. It's it, it's only recently that you've had this, first of all, standardization of recipes. Um, and even more recently, this sort of like higher cuisine that's evolved from Sichuan food in a couple instances, whereas mostly it's about just... Uh, like recipes that are passed down and that change in every family and in every town and in every city that's in Sichuan. So there's like just myriad manifestations of like how it can go. So sometimes it's, it's, you know, your grandma's cooking is the best cooking. You just got to find somebody's grandma if you're not from here. Right. It seems like, like I kind of said previously that most of the people who are coming to Chengdu are going to come for the food. And then those who don't for that are going to come for pandas since you've been doing China food tours for two years now, have you noticed any change in the number of people who are interested in coming to Chengdu or the number of people who are coming? Uh, in general, like I'm pretty, I, I have like a very niche business. So I'm pretty lucky to work in industry where most people who come, come with like a knowledge and excitement of, for the subject matter ahead of time. Uh, so it's sort of, it's sort of difficult. I would say in the last year, I've noticed more people coming with greater knowledge. So like would be like amateur chefs oh, yeah. and they're like looking to like find some ingredients and they're looking to learn and like compare so that they can like cook better at home. But at the same time, we've started to get more, more visitors, more clients who don't know anything about food. And I think it's just been put on their map. Like maybe they come for the pandas, maybe they wanted to go to somewhere else than just Beijing and Xi'an. So they're like, Oh, I heard of Chengdu. And then it's like food pops up for them. Right. So it's sort of funny. It's on like both ends of the spectrum that there's been a little bit of change. Right. So real deal. Tell me what you feel about Anthony Bourdain coming to Chengdu and his <laughs> show. What's that like? How, what's the effect of that kind of attention? All right. Well, in general, like utilitarianly, like it's good for Chengdu. It puts it on the map. Um, it gains access to like a huge audience of people that hopefully makes them excited to come to Sichuan, which is great for all of us. But right. uh, I was pretty disappointed with the execution of the episode. 
is I found it just like pretty lazy and then just very, very sensationalized. Tell me about that. Um, go into detail. What was it about the episode? First of all, describe kind of the missteps and and how did the episode go? All right. <laughs> I got a lot to say about this. I got worked up about it. But basically, like he brought Eric Repair with him, who's like a Michelin star chef in New York City. And basically, he like brought him and like tried to torture him with spicy food, which like I, I, I'm all for making fun of like a pretentious French guy on TV. <laughs> but you don't have to leave New York City to do that. So like, Chengdu just became the backdrop for like their sort of like buddy story. And to me, more than food itself, like more than just the flavors or like the physical pieces of ingredients, there's just this incredible atmosphere around food in Chengdu, which sort of goes back to what you're saying about snacks, but it's just this like the importance. It, it's sort of how the whole cultural like ethos sort of like, like manifests itself in, in every situation in Chengdu. Um, and that was just glossed over. Like, it doesn't really matter what the restaurant is. You go, it's like busy and loud and noisy. And there's just this wonderful energy and this like wonderful feel and this like inclusion and this like celebration that takes place at the table and it like food enables. And then that got glassed over, glossed over, sorry, uh, for the easy shots of like trying to sensationalize the spice here. Yeah, which is, like, you know, a which lot is the classic made, thing that's it's like Chengdu food spicy, but it's not that spicy. Right. Like, I'm not really sure like how accurate that is. I've had actually a lot of Sichuanese people say to me like, oh, can you like handle the spice? And it's like I've had far spicier food than here, like Mexican food, Indian food, Thai food, uh, food and elsewhere in China is spicier than Sichuan. Yeah. I feel yeah. like the, the spiciness is overplayed a little bit. It is. And it, it it's easy because it's visually very like chili full. It's very red. There's like chopped chilies everywhere. Um, for fear of like getting too dorky like I, I think it's good to understand like the, the role that chilies play in food here to like put that into context sure, which, sure. which is basically just like chilies all chili peppers all come from the new world they're all from South America so like they came with the Portuguese like to east coast and like didn't even really get used very much there because why would you eat a chili if you're from Shanghai and you never had one before right and they made their way to Hunan this is in like maybe 16th century mm -hmm. 17th century so this is only a couple hundred years yeah and then like hunan still straight up has the spiciest food in china if you're talking about burning changsha yes yeah i remember actually like, i was there on one trip and someone was like oh you have spicy food in sichuan i'm like it's kind of spicy and they're like oh that ain't nothing like it, you want to try it? yeah yeah and they just gave me like the most brutally inedible food yeah and i'm just like surely i'm just being trolled right now no one could possibly eat this so Sichuan food is like xiangla. It, it has a spicy element, but it is flavorful. Yes. You get the flavor of the chilies infused into things. Right, right. And it's flavorful, spicy. It, so basically you have like almost 3,000 years, 2,500 years of food history in, in Sichuan. And you have 10% of that with the chili, maybe 300 years with the chili involved. So there's like so much amazing food, starting with like ginger and strong peppercorns, which are native to here. And then the inclusion of like tons of spices being brought in from the Middle East and like the, and Southeast Asia, Teen Horse Road and the Silk Road and combining these like amazing flavors together way before the chili ever came on scene. Right. So there's like, to, to, to boil it down to just being spicy is not only just a gross exaggeration, but sort of does a disservice to like, all the amazing other like ingredients and flavors that, that get involved. I also right. just went back to a whole bunch of those restaurants to try the stuff that they had. And like, how was that? Not, just not that spicy. Like it's good. Don't get me wrong. You know what's funny? So I, a lot of my friends were featured in that episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure people that you know too. 
And so he was eating with them at a hot pot restaurant. And I contacted my friend who, uh, Gaoshin, you know, yeah. who was eating with him as like a local singer and guitarist. And uh, I asked him, I'm like, oh, I saw your, your show with uh, Anthony Bourdain. He's like, what? I'm like, Anthony Bourdain? He's like a celebrity. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Like, yeah, barely yeah. even like knew who he was. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, you guys were eating at a hot pot restaurant. Like, how was that? Was that like a really cool experience? And he's like, oh, you know, like we couldn't go to the hot pot restaurant like I wanted to go to. So like, I guess it was okay. Like, he, yeah. he, he was like very like mediocre. He was like, oh, whatever. Kind of like about the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, I thought that uh, me thinking, meeting Anthony Bourdain would be pretty cool. Yeah, well, and, if you uh, don't know who he is. Well, they they had meant to go to Qinian Hoguo, which is yeah. like my preferred, which is like my neighborhood. It's like right down the street from here. There are two different locations. Yeah, there's one in my neighborhood too. That's, yeah, it's funny. That, it has an intense connection to the music scene here as well. It like, does. The guy does. in the the Qinian uh, Hoguo one, he's like a rock and roller. He's like a, a Ramway. He's like a classic yeah, of course. dude from tons of bands here through history. And right. like he opened that hot pot restaurant. And so yes. I, I love how that food, like food isn't just a thing unto itself. It, it permeates like all subcultures too. So like all the bands, when they have people in from out of town, like everybody like always goes to Qingyan Hoguo. Right. So it's like a low key hot kind of hole in the wall yeah. hot pot chain, I guess it is now. And three or four of them. maybe. Yeah. I remember it maybe. back in the day, it used to always be like the rock rock mm-hmm. guys who were like there eating there all the time. And that's so cool. You know, that's so cool that these guys are like so focused on that and they find authenticity in this little hole in the wall that like most people would never even know about. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I find that really cool. I love the intersection of like the different subcultures and stuff in Chengdu, how they all overlap like that. And it's fun how food makes its way into all of those exchanges. It really does. Yeah, food is really a lifestyle, just like you described previously. It's not just like, oh, go eat whatever. A lot of people have a really strong opinion on where they want to go and what they want to eat. And if it's not that, then fuck it all. Like it's, you know, this feeling like it's got to be, it's got to be this. It's like a really important thing. It has a greater degree of importance in people's lives than it might in other places. Totally, totally. And there's that like emotional connection to your food, like you're talking about. But at the same time, like I still feel... Like there's, it's so much about the atmosphere that if you go to a place that captures the spirit that you want, you can still have, like there's like almost 20,000 hot pot restaurants in Chengdu, at least on Dianping. 20,000. Wow. Like, of course they're not all open still, but let's go 10,000 at a conservative estimate. Like there's no best one. There's so many good ones. There's shitty ones, but there's like tons of good ones. So as long as you capture that spirit. So I was actually okay almost with the hot pot scene in, in, um, in parts unknown. Yeah. Because it was like local people taking you out. They talked about how like sometimes hot pot is about punishment and about like egging on your friends and that hot pot is known for being spicy and they could have ordered extra spicy. So like a scene like that is worth its its weight like in a show. Right. Just not every single scene. Right. On the subject of spice, how do you feel about people who come to Chengdu, maybe on a food tour or maybe are just interested in sampling Sichuan food who don't want to eat spicy food? How much of the Sichuan cuisine experience are they missing by doing that? So I will say I've had way more experiences in leading, I don't know, probably like I don't know, 300 people last year um, where people say, oh, I'm not very good at eating spice and are able to eat any, everything that we throw at them. It's easier to deal with those people than the people who are like, I want to try and find the spiciest stuff. And then it's like, well, actually, it's like an amazing balance of flavors of like umami and like sour and ginger and garlic. 
um, that like create this like balance. <laughs> They're and like Sichuan if, cha- spice challenge. And if you want to like get really really spicy, you, you you like break that balance. And so there are places you can do that, but. I mean, they're not always the best tasting places either. You know what I mean? Right, I do. That being said, like Chengdu food is is changing. Sichuan food is changing a lot. So it's interesting to put in context when we talk about things like authenticity, but um, like the food has always been changing here. So like I was saying, incorporating things like the chili, um, which are for flavor, but also like it's it's a damp environment here. Chilies expel moisture from the body. There's always reasons why things like find a home and like being on those trade routes. Like Chengdu is always adapting new ingredients. It, it can sort of be characterized by its creativity. It was only recently that these things became standardized. Stuff like mapo tofu is like 120 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so people are like making spicier and spicier food. They're integrating the Thai, the bird's eye chili into stuff now and like sort of like upping those levels. And like Sichuan food has a reputation that it wants to keep with. And young people also like like to push the limits and the boundaries. So there's like always new things being adapted. And a big part of that is like spice being integrated in different capacities. Right. I have noticed over the years that there's really kind of a list of sort of expat friendly Sichuan dishes in family restaurants in yeah. particular. Like the notorious suspects, which, you know, most expats would would eat regularly in those kind of restaurants. Outside of those, I mean, well, maybe we can actually mention some of those. What what do you find are like the, the dishes which expats enjoy most? Um, so there's like the standard things that everybody orders, like people that live here. And like, don't get me wrong. I love those dishes, too. They just don't represent the full spectrum. There's like the Kung Pao chicken and like dry fried green beans, probably twice cooked pork, the eggs and, uh, and tomatoes fried together. Yeah. I mean, those, those are all great, great dishes. Right. Um, but there's just like a, like much larger spectrum and like style of food. What are some of the lesser known ones that maybe people who are listening to this, if they're living in Chengdu, what are some lesser known dishes that people should order and try out, which you think are cool to explore and try? Um, this is always a little bit of a tricky intro and it like takes a bit of intermediate level stuff, but I always like encourage people also to play with texture, which involves largely like incorporating like some level of organs into what you do. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, I still don't love liver, right? but there's like a lot of interesting things like chicken gizzards. How do you just name some of the dishes in Chinese and I'll Uh, try to include those in the notes. Okay, well, I'm getting carried away here, but like some, okay, so favorite things that I say that you have to get when you come to Chengdu, you might not think of. One is a roast rabbit. Rabbit is just like super characteristic of Chengdu and it tastes amazing here. Um, Seasonal vegetables. So like whatever is in season, like get them to fry it up. Uh, Regardless of where you are, like every restaurant is going to have homemade pickles. Like to me, that's like a must anywhere you go. There's like this amazing pickling culture. It's like the jars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a... I mean, I think the this one's like fairly well known, but not always on the list is like the the liang banji. It's like the cold mixed chicken. It's like a cold chicken salad. It just has this. It's like a great representation of like balance. Mm. Like it has a whole bunch of different things, like seven or eight different flavors that are all like mixed together. Nice. Um, and then I always like to get uh, like some things that aren't as spicy too, just to like fill out the balance. Like whenever you go to a restaurant, you're supposed to get, if you have a full spread, you're supposed to have like different textures, different colors and different cooking methods. So you should never get all fried dishes. You should have like soup and like stewed and steamed and braised, like all mixed in there. So one of my favorite things is like the uh, funjun ro or funjun yoro. So it's like beef, 
usually and it's like coated in like ground rice and spices and then it's steamed it's like super tender super savory almost like cinnamon nutmeggy and like hardly has any spice in it at all excellent okay so as we begin to wrap this up i want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug chandu food tours and maybe give people an idea of what that experience is like so if someone's interested in taking a food tour what's involved how do they sign up and what's it like yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, you can check out information about us on chengdufoodtours.com or uh, contact us through our social media. It's like Instagram at chengdufoodtours or Facebook at chengdufoodtours. And basically, we just want to use food as a vehicle to allow people to gain insight into what we really love about the city. So it's amazing food, but hopefully it also like shows you a bit about Chengdu and a bit about that feeling. The, our most classic experience is about like a four-hour walking experience uh, where we eat a series of different snacks. We explore like an outdoor wet market. So we get to know a bunch of like the ingredients and how things come together. Uh, we sample always different spices, but also local spirits. And then we end with like a big family style dinner or a hot pot dinner. Um, we also create like custom experiences to help people learn a lot more about food sources and where things come from. Like I said, it's, it's more than just about like the table, like Chengdu has this amazing connection to it's agriculture. So we, we do factory visits and we like help people like gain access to places where they like make doban. We go to the countryside. We do uh, foraging trips as well where people get like fresh vegetables from the mountains. Um, and so those are targeted mostly at tourists, though also new people to the city. Though I do think there's a lot to learn for people to sort of like break out of their shells here. For sure. Uh, we're also just getting going on a couple of things. So we're just launching a Baijo club. Oh, great. So Baijiu Appreciation Club. Which How does that I, work? I think it Baijiu sort of represents like the last frontier of of like getting over different flavors and biases and context of things. Um, so we're International Baijiu or World Baijiu Day is actually on August 9th. Oh, wow. That's pretty um, soon. Baijiu. So we're doing the first event in Chengdu oh, for that. But we're doing Baijiu. a few small lead up events. Basically, Baijiu is a really diverse category. What we do is we break down a little bit about what makes it special. And then we sample a whole bunch of different categories of Baijiu. So you get to like see them side by side and realize like the differences and know that they're like, it's not just like one thing. That sounds great. You know, I feel like Baijiu has kind of a bad reputation among expats, but I've always really liked it. It's, I mean, it depends how you got into Baijiu. If you just drink an Arguato because it's cheap, no, that's, that's terrible. Nobody yeah, that's likes that. Yeah, that's like rubbing alcohol. That's it, not it, like it's the, cut with like ethanol and generic spirits and water. Right. To taste like nothing, but still get you drunk and be cheap. Nothing that cheap can be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like if you're not just using <laughs> Baijiu as the cheapest way to get drunk, it's a really fascinating category. Uh, it, it's a unique category of fermentation the whole world over. Yeah, it's very and flavorful. It, it's uh, it's a really unique drink. It's very potent. So you drink just a thimble of it. It's not like taking shots. I find that if you drink it in, in the right circumstances, especially with a meal. Totally. Context is really important and food is obviously a part of that. Right. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Derek Sandhouse, who authored a book on the subject and a popular blog, which is called 10,000 Shots to Greatness. 300 Shots to Greatness. Uh, was it really? Yeah, I thought 300. Was a, 300. I'm sorry. My mistake. There was a, uh, we did an interview with him years ago in Chono Living. Oh, nice. So he was, he was living here he, for a number of years. He, he's been a big inspiration for me in Baijiu Club. So he has a book called Baijiu Essential Guide to Chinese Spirits, right. which like logged tons of the info. And he basically created as a way to like help people share information about Baijiu. Yeah. And I did an interview with him for my blog recently as well too. So Great. His, his knowledge was like a big uh, inspiration for us moving forward with like conceptualizing the club as opposed to just 
making your friends drink baijiu with you. Yeah, the concept of the blog and of the book was so cool. 300 shots, I guess, is a reference to the Chinese saying that it takes that many shots to acquire a taste for baijiu. Right. And right. he didn't like it at the beginning, and then he started sampling it and then started to acquire a taste for it. Really interesting journey. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So, uh, I mean, that's the goal of, is for all of us to sort of embark upon that journey in a structured way as well. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Charlie. Appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,